Market of Mind, episode 25. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we are concluding our series featuring producers and influencers from Missouri. I thank all of you for tuning into this series. It's been a lot of fun for me to highlight my home state and the people who do a really good job of bringing forth how diverse and how rich the heritage of agriculture is in Missouri. And it's been a lot of fun for me to talk to people who are close to me and, um, um, really get that get that vibe out there. It was really fun to do this. And today we finish out this series with my friend Macy Hurst. Macy is a very active advocate for the beef industry. Um, I heard her voice for the first time on the Cattleman's Call podcast. It was recorded um, at the NCBA trade show in San Antonio. Um, I heard her on that podcast and knew I had to talk to her on our on our podcast and oddly enough it turns out Macy's family and I share some history together um, there was a lot of involvement at the local sale barn between our two families and uh, it was really cool getting to know her and kind of bond over that and uh, we talked to Macy today about her journey as a beef advocate and we talked to her a lot about her stance on mental health and how it should be talked about more in the beef sector and the beef industry. That's, I think, kind of a hard group to crack into. Um, I know f- from experience that and being one of those people that it is extremely hard to break that cowboy culture of, of the cattleman's industry. I think it's going to take people like Macy, this younger generation coming up and making it normal to talk about that. So we, we spend a good deal talking about that and talking about her time in FFA. Uh, again, it was just a really cool experience for me getting to know her. So again, I thank all of you, the listeners, to who tuned into this series and uh, were able to maybe hopefully take away and learn a little bit something about Missouri that you didn't know um, coming into this. So uh, without any further ado, here is my interview with Macy Hurst. Hello, Macy. Welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you, Jason? I'm doing doing great. We were just talking before we started recording here about how nice the weather was today here in Missouri. And um, I know that there's going to be some rain coming in, but it was it's sure nice to get these little glimpses of spring while they last. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's beautiful <laughs> out today. Finally getting some green grass, like especially in like the parts with a little bit of cover, there's some like quite a bit of, at least where I'm at, a lot, quite a bit of grass popping up underneath that. So that's like, you know, people who have cattle, that's like their dream time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The green grass and the fresh calves. And Oh, I know. I know. We just went, we were out riding the gator this morning or this afternoon and there were, I think we had two or three new calves out there. So it's a good time of year, especially, okay. you know, if it's not snowing or too cold. Oh yeah, it is Missouri. So we got to be careful. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> So the first time I really came across you was, it was you were on the Cattleman's Call podcast with a couple of other girls, Kaya and Courtney. And 
I just, I found that podcast so interesting and so like intriguing to hear you girls talk. It was funny because you recorded this podcast at NCBA while I was probably right there, you know, close to you when you you were recording it. And it's so funny that you and I live so close to one another and have so many connections, it seems like, that we've never had the opportunity of really getting to meet each other in person. So uh, for everyone who may not know who you are, go ahead and introduce yourself and your background and we'll go from there. Yeah. So like you said, it is kind of funny. I don't know how it took us this long to me being, you know, not far from each other at all, going to the same conventions every year. And then, um, you know, we've talked about the sale barn, your family owned it for a little while. And then my family owned it not long after. So it's, right. it's really funny that um, our paths didn't cross. But um, so my story did start in mid Missouri. Um, I grew up on a a pretty good sized commercial cow calf operation um, with my whole family was involved. And uh, I decided kind of pretty early on that that was what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I always knew that I would have cattle, whether I was a psychologist, a photographer, an architect, I went through all the stages that every other kid does. But I always, always, always knew I would come home at the end of the day to a herd of cattle. And so um, that really started my passion. And it got me involved in FFA and I served as a, an FFA state vice president here in Missouri and ended up as the Missouri beef queen. And so um, I was really fortunate to be involved in some pretty awesome organizations that let me develop as a leader and also as a passionate agriculturist. So uh, whenever I graduated from high school, I went down to Missouri State University where I got two bachelor's degrees, one in agricultural communications and one in agriculture business, marketing and sales, and then a minor in Spanish. So um, I currently work in ag marketing. Um, I also do some freelance writing for Cattlemen's News type magazines. Um, And I'm also getting into um, football journalism. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then I do a lot of social media management. Um, And then one of my proudest accomplishments is the founding of Lady Livestock Company with my mom and my younger sister. We, as I mentioned, had a pretty good sized commercial cow-calf operation. After some pretty tumultuous family stuff, we ended up having to um, get rid of that business. But we uh, picked up what was left, and we started Lady Livestock Company, where we do registered Black Angus breeding stock and direct-to-consumer beef sales. So that's been very exciting, a huge learning curve to uh, own a business with family, as I'm sure you and many others listening know. So lucky to have found my passion at such a young age and to be given all the opportunities I needed to stay inside the industry and, and pursue that passion. So I'm going to ask you the question. You've probably been asked this question a lot of times. Why Missouri State and not Mizzou? Okay. I, I do like, I like this question. Okay, I'm good. I'm going to try to not be too biased. I didn't want but... to, I, I, good. I didn't want to offend you, but I, that's a question that came up with me. So I, I you know, I got to know. Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I do get it a lot because I am just 30 minutes away from Mizzou and uh, Missouri State is over two and a half hours. So um, Mizzou was kind of the place I always thought I would end up just mm-hmm. because it was convenient. That's where, you know, most of my cousins went. And so uh, that was always the plan. And, you know, I was up there every year for um, FFA stuff anyway, and I kind of was familiar with it. But whenever I was up there, I just felt like one of the crowd, you know, mm, and okay. not to diss Mizzou at all. And I apologize to all my Mizzou friends who are listening. But I went down to Missouri State and I actually contacted a a friend of mine who had spoken at an FFA event I went to his name's Ben and I contacted him and I said hey I'm really thinking about going to Missouri State where he was at the time and I said really 
you know, I've kind of already made up my mind, but I would love to, you know, hear your pitch essentially. And he took a day off and he brought my mom and my sister and I all around campus, set up appointments with all of the professors, took us to the ag campus, showed us all the facilities and Ben's hospitality and his willingness to go way out of his way. And then every single one of the professors I met there, just, they, you know, they said to me, this may not be the place for you. This may not be your, your future home, but we're going to do everything in our power to make it that, that way. And so it was such a night and day difference from just the feeling I got, um, on the two campuses and, and the ag program is, is growing rapidly Mm -hmm. at Missouri state. It's kind of Um, The program I was in, the agricultural communications program, actually did not become an an official degree until I think I was a a sophomore or junior. And it was a school of agriculture until I was a sophomore, until it became the second college of agriculture in the state of Missouri. So anyway, it's just, I think that they have the students really um, at heart are that they're the main priority and they have some really amazing facilities and some incredible supporters. Um, the Dar family and, and um, Dr. Elliot, are, they've just really surrounded the school with all the best people and, and the students get to reap those benefits. So yeah, I consider that to be kind of my second family and I was super blessed to kind of get the opportunity to rethink that decision and, and both schools have so much to offer, but I'm, I'm very, very glad I made the decision to go into Missouri State. Yeah, because it's, it's all about your your personal experience and what's best for you and I feel like that that was since we're kind of focusing on folks in Missouri and and hopefully kind of drawing from that audience here I feel like it was an appropriate thing to talk about here the the two you know there's we have these two colleges of agriculture you know the old school at Mizzou and then this kind of new up-and-coming thing down in Springfield Mm -hmm. and I feel like that I feel like you know somebody listening to this may be able to kind of get a better idea of what each world is like. And I, I appreciate you being able to share that with me and, and know what it's like, because that was, when I went to school, I, I don't think that was an option at Missouri State. In fact, Missouri State wasn't even Missouri State when I was, when I was graduating. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was, um, I, think, I think some of my friends were some of the first people to graduate from Missouri State back, you know, in the mid-2000s. And uh, mm-hmm. so... Um, to see how that school has evolved and changed is, is, is really interesting to me because traditionally, as most people in Missouri, in Missouri think, when they think of the College of Agriculture, they think of typically Mizzou. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think some people up north might think a little bit of Northwest, but I don't think a lot of pe- folks traditionally have thought as, of, of Springfield as that school. And I'm glad to hear because there's so much, there's so much in that area around Springfield that is so much rich, uh, you know, especially, in, especially in the cattle business, especially in folks, because I mean, down in that part of the state, I mean, it's, a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's suited for cow-calf operations. And I think that's a, I think that's a great thing to have there in, in Springfield. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I loved it because we are right in the heart of cattle country. I mean, mm-hmm. the the uh, producing county, uh, the largest in in the Midwest is just miles from my school. You know, and we have Missouri State University actually owns the largest privately owned Hereford herd in the entire country, and so we're so proud of um, Jernigan Ranch and everything that they're doing out there. And it provides so many resources when you have those kinds of things going on that it's it's hard to it's hard to, I think, imagine unless you actually get to be immersed in those things, but I'm so excited for the opportunities that the students 
there now and the ones in the future are going to have. And, and again, at both, at both schools, they both have lots to offer, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bear through and through. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) So I think I want to spend some time and talking about your journey through, through beef advocacy, because it's something that, I mean, it's, relatively new, I think. And, and we, I mean, we've been doing it for a, a while now, but there just seems like there's much more, um, much more passion behind it, much more intentionality behind it now. And I feel like you're kind of on the leading front of that. And I, I, I'm really interested to see how you got going down that path. Like I said, we talked, uh, the first time I heard you was on that the NCBA Cattlemen's Call mm-hmm. podcast. And, you know, I just want to, you know, obviously you're raised this way and you are very familiar with, with cattle and been around the business your entire life. But to, to go into social media and to be, you know, kind of a voice for this industry, I'm, I'm very intrigued at how that happened for you. Yeah, so I'm kind of flattered to hear you say, uh, say that, you know, you think I'm on the front end of it, I think is how you said it, because I've always felt like I was very, very behind. Um, But again, some of the opportunities I've had, had kind of not only given me the skills I need to be able to do it, but um, kind of opened my eyes to the importance of doing it. So, um, you know, I was an FFA not all that long ago, and they harp on advocacy, 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 advocacy. But I was just talking to a coworker the other day, and she said, you know, I really feel like we've taught your generation to just fight for agriculture. Mm -hmm. And when she said fight, she meant combatively. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of proven to be a huge issue for us Mm -hmm. because so often we're just defending, 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 when in reality, we should be helping and conversing. And um, I, I said this in the Cattleman's Call podcast, the word educate, I hate it so much. It's so degrading to say that we're educating people, um, you know, and so it's really just about listening in reality and then kind of sharing those, those common grounds and, and giving people comfort. So that's kind of the, the direction I'm coming from with my advocacy is, you know, I know people who they've been around agriculture and maybe they don't understand it, or maybe they've literally never been around agriculture. And so it's those kinds of people that I just, I want to. I want to learn from them as much as I'm sure they want to learn where their food comes from. So um, my journey really did just start with hearing about that advocacy that, you know, we were always told we needed to do. And social media was, oh, you know, really like the fundamental social media tools we have now came out when I think I was in junior high. I can remember begging my mom for a Facebook in like (laughs) seventh grade. Um, And she said no, by the way. But um, eventually when I got on there, um, it wasn't really a, a big thing. Advocacy wasn't a big thing, especially with my age group. Um, and as social media really evolved, it became less of a strictly social platform and more of a interactive community, which I mean, is pretty much the definition of social, but it's, it's so much more now. It's more news and it's where you go for information. Um, it's where you go to learn. It's where, honestly and I'm a little ashamed to say this, it's where I get most of my news. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so do I. I mean, it's yeah. 100% I do. Yeah, I mean, there's, and it's just because there's so many resources now, and they're so broadly available because of social media. So um, I started following some social media advocates, the, you know, the influencer types, especially 
in the ag industry. And I, every once in a while, you know, I had pictures of my cattle because that's what I love to do. But I never thought about the fact that some people are looking at those pictures, those posts that maybe have never interacted with cattle or maybe didn't know that those cattle were producing their beef. And so watching some of the other advocates and uh, um, really hearing some of the questions I got too, just in my daily life, kind of let me know that like, hey, these are tools and you need to start using them because I don't know. And women in ag is a passion of mine. Um, I mean, I think every, every single person in agriculture is important. Everybody has a story. Everybody needs to share that story. Um, without everybody's voice, the story has holes. And so I firmly believe that everyone is important. But when I was in high school and even into college, you know, so many times people would question my involvement in agriculture because I had my nails done or um, because, you know, I love a good pair of heels. And so it was, it was just really funny to see the perceptions that people had of agriculture. And so I kind of decided social media was how I was going to going to uh, either change those perceptions or maybe it was just about letting people know that they had the opportunity to ask questions about those things, whether it is what a typical farmer does on a daily basis or if it's how their beef was produced or whatever that might be. No, you bring some, you bring some, thank you for all that. You bring some really <laughs> interesting points to this. And I think not, not, um, not a uh, one that really stuck out to me is the last thing he said is you know you 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 are a feminine woman you are you know you like you say you like your nails done you like your heels mm -hmm. and I think when people think of women in agriculture they may that may not be what they really typically think of and I think it's so refreshing to know that you know for people that they can they can be a like you say you can be a woman you know a pure woman and and still be involved as as heavily as you are and I think that's I think that's really important to people going forward as looking to someone as yourself as a role model and not not denying their own identity and not trying to shape their identity and still being able to be there themselves, but still be involved in agriculture. And I think that that goes for men as well. I mean, it doesn't, there's not this stereotype anymore. There shouldn't be anyway. There shouldn't be this, you know, you have to fit in this nice, neat mold. I mean, you can still be you and still be involved in agriculture, still be involved with cattle. And um, I'm finding that out myself a lot more now that I'm able to be a little bit more be a little bit more comfortable with just being myself and not trying to check all these boxes. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think back to uh, when I was a kid growing up on a cattle farm, uh, we lived in a really rural area, but not everybody was involved in agriculture. And I always think about, you know, when I went to school, I thought, okay, well, if I wear cowboy boots, then they'll know I, I work on a mm -hmm. farm. They'll mm -hmm. know that. And so I have to wear my cowboy boots or if I don't wear an FFA t-shirt, then, you know, they won't know that I have cattle. And so it was this, I guess it was this self-esteem issue I had that, you know, people have to identify me as this person involved in agriculture or they won't truly know who I am. When in reality, it was just this stereotype that has always been portrayed of farmers and ranchers that I just felt like I had to fit into basically. And stereotypes are so, so limiting and so ridiculous really especially when I think it comes to farmers and ranchers with like you said men and women I mean there's no 
certain way we have to dress or way we have to talk or place, even place we have to live. There's people all over in DC, New York, LA that are fighting for agriculture. And um, it's, I mean, it's 2000, it's 2020. We've got it. <laughs> We've got to evolve. No. And I think, I mean, I think it, when we are more ourselves and when we do portray ourselves as just a member a functioning member of society, not like this outcast or not this um, someone who almost tries to be different when we, you know, try to be a cog in society's wheel, then I think it makes our jobs as, as being advocates of the industry to be more meaningful and be, you know, people, I feel like people can relate to us better and can trust us more to know that we are not the stereotypes like we talk that those aren't, I mean, there are people who are that way, but they're all, they're also people who are not that way, who are involved in, mm -hmm. you know, that we are a community too. We are just a microcosm of, of America, really. I mean, we are all just, we're just as diverse and, you know, we have diverse opinions, diverse beliefs, but we all want that same thing. And we want to be able to have a, have a, have a, product have our beef that is sold to the to the consumer and something that is healthy and safe for them to eat and being able to get our message across is is more important now than it ever has been yeah and kind of back to the comment i made about the story and how everybody has a piece in it you know when i go to the grocery store after work and i'm in you know whether it's a dress and heels or whatever it might be i'm I'm a 21 year old woman. So the people in the, those grocery stores who are starting their families and making decisions about how they want their, their families to eat nutritionally, they trust people like me because we live similar lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And so the same goes with my grandpa. He's, he'll be 83 years old this year. And whenever he goes to church, the people he goes to church with have similar lifestyles to him. So they're going to trust him. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that we each live our true selves because there's other people out there that live just like us that are going to trust, trust the ones that they feel most connected to. That's a really great point. I've never really even thought of it that way in that when you say that about how you, you know, you go to the grocery store and you are dressed, however you are, you have like this set group of people who can directly relate to you. Now those, those same folks won't be able to relate as, as well to your 83 year old grandpa, but he does have that set of folks who can relate to him. And that's really, that's a really good way to say that. I've honestly never thought of it that way, but it's, it's really, really, I mean, accurate. Yeah. It's been kind of interesting working with my mom and, and sister because we have such different audiences, I guess. Um, not only with social media, but just in our general lives. Because as I mentioned, as a young woman, a lot of people my age are starting their families and um, really kind of becoming conscious about their health. And so um, that's kind of my, the people that come to me with questions. Now my sister's in high school and we still live around rural areas, but some of those kids have never been on a farm. They might drive past cattle on their way to school, but she's had people ask, about you know what she does on the farm and where their food comes from and how it's raised and treated and um, you know my mom she's got other mother friends who are even after raising you know 
kids into their 20s, they still have questions about where their food comes because they've never seen it from start to finish. And so it's, uh, it's a, again, it's so important that you, you stay true to yourself so that you can stay true to the people you're advocating to. Yeah. And you never know when you are going to be able to be an advocate. Um, you never know when that time comes. And I'll use my wife as an example. She um, just had an event, a class in St. Louis where she was talking to some girls from about, um, about our farm, about our, our cattle business. And she was able to really portray it in a really positive light to these people who have never been around it before. And it was really cool for her because she didn't grow up like this, but she, but you know, she's been around it for 12 years now since being with me. So, I mean, she's has a really good idea and a really good grasp of what goes on to the day to day and her being able to be an advocate to the people, like you said, who can relate to her, they wouldn't be able to relate to me even, even though I'm a similar age and live a similar lifestyle, I'm still not the, the, I'm still not my wife. And she is, Carrie is so much, makes it so much easier for, to be able to relate to those girls. And it's, that is so invaluable to me because I would never be able to reach them without her. And I think that's so awesome. And we all, we all play our part. Yep. That's absolutely right. And, and it's important too, on top of kind of playing our part and reaching our own audiences, I think that we also be a team in that way because I think it's so tempting sometimes to kind of self-promote in terms of you know we raise our cattle conventionally and we have registered black angus so you know Mm. whenever I talk about my cattle that's what I talk about but that doesn't mean that those commercial operations or those Hereford herds or those crossbreed herds or whatever we're all we're all fighting for the same thing and so um, especially I think with conventional and organic farming, we so often fight that we totally miss the consumers who are asking questions just about general right. agriculture. Let's talk about that for a minute. And I, <laughs> this is something that is that I, I, I mean, I think you and I a hundred percent agree on this and we spend a lot of time in agriculture, in fighting, especially the different sectors with one another, as far as within the same industry like you mentioned, like maybe more conventional terms um, with like a grass fed versus grain finished operation. And, you know, that I, to me, I feel like the bickering now, now it's one thing to discuss best practices and discuss what is going on, but to, to fling the mud is a totally different thing and and attack one another from within is so damaging to our industry. And I feel like there needs to be so I mean, I feel like there needs to be none of that going on right now because there are so many people attacking us from the outside that we need to we need to come together and, you know, kind of agree to disagree on a few things to know that at the end of the day, the consumer is wanting to eat beef, whether it be something that was 100% grass finished or something that spent some of its last part of its life on grain. The difference is very minute, I believe. Um, Now, somebody could come right and prove me wrong. But I think in the overall scheme of things, it's, it's so small of a difference, so insignificant of a difference that we waste a lot of time arguing about that. And I think that goes for agriculture in general, whether it be GMO versus non-GMO crops or organic versus non-organic grown crops, um, all this same, all these things, the significance of it is so, so small that um, it's not worth the fight with one another over it. 
Yeah, they say what one and a half or two percent of the population is involved in production agriculture. Quite mm -hmm. simply put, we cannot afford to be in arguments with each other whenever no. we have so many other people who have questions that are genuine and true. And the one and a half to two percent, our goal is the same to take care of the environment and to provide a safe and nutritious food source for the people of the world. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I just felt like that was something that I mean, I talk about that ever so often, but um, I feel like it's something that really needs, I mean, I don't think we can talk about enough how important it is for one of us, I mean, honestly, to just get along as an industry, yes. um, you know, I mean, I mean, and like, it's, like I said before, discussions are fine. It's fine to have differences. Um, it's fine to believe vehemently one way over the other, but it's not, I, I, it's very damaging to, to argue about it too much. So, I want to, we talked about this before, and I do want to spend some time talking about this because the podcast is, is on mental health. And you and I have talked before, and we talked about these, especially, especially in the cattle industry, we have, like we talked about, that stereotypical cowboy type mentality where we are independent, we are rugged, we don't want outside help. But when it comes to things as important as our mental health and things as important as, as our relationships with family and with those around us, that kind of mentality is not always helpful and is not always lends itself to doing what is best for our, for our health. And, you know, I want to talk about that and how you are trying to get that message across to the people you are talking to. Yeah, so when you said that, it, it kind of brought me back to my Missouri State days when I was involved in the MSU Cattlemen's Association, and we had this Farm Safety Day event, and I think I was a sophomore when I said, hey, what if we started talking about mental health? And they said, that's fine as long as you're the one to do it. And so I started uh, giving a mental health workshop at our Farm Safety Day, and I always started by saying, you know, tell me about a time that, you know, you were sick or injured and what you did to, to solve it. And they would talk amongst themselves, and I would ask for a couple volunteers, and one of them would say, you know, I, um, I fell off the four-wheeler and I broke my arm and I went to the doctor and he or she put it in a cast and then it was better in a couple months. And then there were other ones who would say, you know, I, I fell off of a tire swing and I cut myself up really bad and I sucked it up. And they just had this very tough, this tough thing about them. And I think it, I, I think it comes with kind of the you know, the high school boy attitude mm -hmm. at the same time. But um, so many of them would say, I just sucked it up because I'm, you know, because I'm a man or whatever that might be. And it was so heartbreaking because the moral of the story is if you have that bro broken arm, you're going to go to the doctor. So why, when we're struggling mentally or when we're mentally unhealthy, do we not seek resources? It's such a, there's so much stigma surrounding those mental illnesses when if you have the flu or if you have a cold or if you're sick or hurt in any other physical way, you're going to go see a doctor and your people are going to know because it's not something you're embarrassed about. So I don't, it's hard because it is such a taboo subject, but it's not something that anybody should be embarrassed about. And the more we talk about it, the less people are going to be afraid to talk about their experience with it. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from with the social media advocacy for mental health. And honestly, I found that numbers are what get people talking most because 
Um, you know, I loved your post today about coronavirus, and I, I saw it just today. There have been 32 coronavirus deaths in the United States in this, this year. So, and coronavirus has been around for about 50 days, right? Right. In the United States alone, 123 people commit suicide every day. Mm-hmm. And think yeah. about all the discussion surrounding coronavirus and what it's doing to the world and to the people and to the health of our nations when we've got this huge issue that is completely plaguing people, particularly in the agriculture industry. Farmers and ranchers are twice as likely to commit or attempt suicide than any other occupation. That includes soldiers. So it's, I mean, it's hard to fathom, but like you said, it's this cowboy mentality and our farmers and ranchers, whether they're men or women, they are strong individuals, but it takes some of that strength to be able to say, Hey, I need some help. So I, I want to, um, my friend, Leslie Kelly, I'll give her a little bit of a shout out. She has been on the podcast before and she's, you know, was the co-founder of the do more agriculture foundation in Canada. Mm-hmm. And she made a post on Instagram the other day about sitting in an airport. And she has this shirt that says coffee, farming, mental health, just, you know, one of those shirts that's kind of a conversation starter. And right. someone came up to her at the airport and said, farming and mental health, those don't seem like they go together. Like, and so that is, that's the kind of mentality that we're fighting against here. People do not put those two things together. And that's what we have to, we have to overcome people not talking, like not thinking about them in the same sentence. I mean, so, I mean, there's a, there's a huge uphill battle here. And to me, I feel like it starts, I mean, if we get the, if we get the generation now and above us, great. But I, I really think to, to, if we're at really going to put an end to this stigma, that we have to focus on the younger generation and folks who, the kids who are right now in FFA and right now, you know, going out into this world and talk to them and make it be normal to them before they know it's abnormal, before they know that farming and mental health, quote unquote, don't go together. And um, that is to me, and I, I just realized this just recently, how important it is to focus our efforts on, on that area. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. And I think, I mean, like I said, it's, it's those kids that are in those at that age right now that are trying to figure out kind of their strengths and, and trying to adopt that mentality, you know, that makes them look like a man or an adult or whatever that might mm-hmm. be. And so it's hard, but it's so, like you said, it's so, so important. I mean, this is literally a life or death issue. And there's so many resources and it's so sad to see them go to waste just because people won't speak up or ask for help. But it's, I mean, it's tradition really for some of these, the, the cowboys and the, you know, the farmers and ranchers, they, they're known for being independent and for not asking for help when there was nothing wrong with it in the beginning. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a, again, a stereotype that has got to be changed. And I, and for a long time, I was, that was me. I mean, I didn't want to talk about this stuff because you talk about this stuff, then that means you're weak. That means, I mean, that's traditionally what I thought. And, you know, you've got so much kind of backup on that kind of uh, mentality that you don't know that that's wrong. And I, (laughs) it takes people getting really uncomfortable talking about this stuff and making other people uncomfortable 
a little bit, maybe to kind of change it and kind of shift the attitude toward making this, making this normal because it is normal. It is normal to have problems. No matter what anybody tells you, it is normal for you to have some anxiety. Uh -huh. it, unfortunately, depression can be normal for some, for, especially for the individual. Those are just realities of life. And I just think that we have to come to grips with them being a normal part of, of our discussion. And that's really, really important if we're going to advance as an industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think an important thing too, that I sometimes forget is everybody has a mental health. It seems simple, but yes. everybody has a mental health. It's the fact that sometimes we struggle with mental health or mental illness, just like we struggle with physical illness. Again, there really shouldn't be a difference, but mm -hmm. it's the fact that we have to take care of that mental health just as much, if not more than we take care of our physical health. If we go to the gym and we eat our fruits and vegetables and beef, of course, <laughs> of then, course. and take care of our, of our bodies, then why wouldn't we take care of our minds and our, our mental beings in the same way, whether it's through prayer or meditation or reading or massages or whatever that might be, there's got to be some sense of release for those stressors. And in the agriculture industry, there are so many stressors, so many stressors. And I think that's obviously why it's such a big problem. I mean, they always said in my econ classes, farmers are price takers. Well, they're also weather takers and they're, they take a ton of backlash just for simply living on um, the lifestyles that they love and they suffer with their physical health and they have to watch sometimes their crops, maybe their livestock suffer as well. And it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard and it sucks and we all know it, but sometimes they just won't say it out loud. And so nobody knows that they need the help they do. Yeah, no. And it's important. And it's important to use the platforms like that we've been given to, to kind of bring that to light. And I, I really, I'm really glad you said that because that's something I actually try to say when we talk about mental health is mental health is not good. It's not bad. It just is. It's on. And I think it was right around the same time I started the podcast. Um, I was listening to a different podcast. It was the, the Ed Milet, Ed Milet podcast. Are you familiar with it? I think I've heard of it, but I haven't had the chance to listen yet. It's my favorite non-ag podcast. But I went, about the same time I was I had this, I'm not sure if I'd started the podcast yet or I just started or had the idea, but I was listening to this and he had this episode on mental health and mental health is like on this spectrum and we can, we can fluctuate throughout that spectrum at any given time. And it's not like, you know, it's not a black or white. There's a whole lot of gray area in there mm -hmm. and we can be at any stage on that at any time. And it's important that we are, are mindful of that and important that we are aware of where we may be on that spectrum at any, any given time. And I think a lot of that goes to just being open enough to talk about it um, open enough to have a conversation, much like you and I are doing here. You know, we're just two farm kids from Missouri, but we we can still have these conversations, and it it needs to be just as normal you as it is you and I talking about it for, you know, a couple of guys at the feed store to talk about it, or a couple of guys at the sale barn to talk about it. And you know, I think it's an uphill battle, but it is something that is worth fighting for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think there has been progress. The fact that, you know, ag state of mind exists, thanks to you, Jason. And uh, the fact that we can talk about it 
right now, just like you said, it, we're making progress. But I, I mean, I think it's funny because think about how women's voting rights probably were in the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a total joke. Nobody talked about it because it wasn't a thing. I mean, today it's a very, very normal part of our society. Right. And right. so ideally mental health and mental illness and being able to discuss it openly will be the same and hopefully not as many years, but someday so that those resources that are out there can be used and the resources that we need can be developed because if nobody talks about needing them, then they're not going to be put to use. And, and, you know, we got to talking a little bit earlier about um, kind of broadband and some of the resources that are available to rural Americans um, who maybe struggle with those mental illnesses and um, between telemedicine and social media, I think is a great tool just to be able to talk about it and to feel connected to the outside world. You know, some of us live miles and miles and miles from any other people or especially a town. And so um, being able to just connect with people and say, hey, I'm feeling lost or isolated or lonely or, you know, I've, I've had a really, really tough go at it this week on the farm just having those simple conversations can go so far. And sometimes it's not even the person that's struggling. Maybe it's you reaching out and saying, Hey, how are you doing? I've been meaning to check on you. And I just mm -hmm. wanted to say, you know, that I appreciate you and being that person to just really go above and beyond to just care for people. Just, it's so easy to just be a good person. I don't know why, why sometimes it's, I don't know if it's the, the pride that we have that we can't, you know, be over complimentary or, you know, we don't want to reach out and express that we care for someone, but it really is as simple as a Facebook message or a text just saying, Hey, I've been thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I appreciate your passion coming out in this because I can, I can really, I can really feel it and hear it in your voice that you know, this is something that is super important to you. And I'm, I'm, so thankful that we have been able to connect to where we could have this conversation because I mean as close as we are and I talked a few weeks ago to Caroline Sicht from you know up up you know just north of me yeah just north of here yeah and you know we would not be able to have probably not have this conversation right now if it wasn't for the graces that are social media and mm -hmm. the, the you know we would I mean, probably, we, we'd probably run into each other, but we may not have the connection that we've been able to form here. And it's, I, I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that we are able to live in and, and try to be forward thinking people to where we can, we can kind of bond together over this and maybe join forces and, and try to get this change going ourselves. Because um, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. It takes people who are passionate about it to to speak up and maybe speak up for people who don't have the don't have the courage yet to do it for themselves. And maybe that's the difference in someone telling their story and, and someone not. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I so admire what you're doing with the podcast and with your Ag State of Mind platforms. Um, like you said, I'm almost positive we would have had to pass uh, cross paths by now but it was social media that kind of made that connection so I'm so thankful for social media and all it's brought in terms of connections and those just opportunities to learn um, from each other and to like you said team up to face these these big issues and the things that need to be talked about so speaking of social media where where can folks find you on social media 
Yeah, so um, my personal page is just Macy Hurst, M-A-C-E-Y-H-U-R-S-T. That's me. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Macy.Hurst and Twitter at Macy underscore Hurst. Um, my, one of my favorite other pages is, of course, Lady Livestock Company, and we're on um, all those platforms, too. So that's where you go for the cute calf pics. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I would love to connect or be able to answer any questions regarding this or agriculture or advocacy or whatever it is because like you said we've got those those people out on social media that um, those connections could go really far so um, I'd love to to connect with some others well Macy I have really enjoyed this conversation here tonight um, I for one am I mean I, I I knew how young you were but I am for one I'm surprised at how really to be honest with you how young you are because you do not speak as if you're 21 years old you speak as if you are much older and wiser and um, I feel like you should be commended for that um, because there are some people who are of your age who are not as forward-thinking <laughs> as you. Um, so um, it, it, it's really refreshing to know that there's someone who is of the in that generation that is that thinks like you do and um i i you should be proud of that jason i really appreciate that and i super appreciate you reaching out and just every conversation we've had has just been so refreshing and so motivating yeah well i again appreciate you and i, I appreciate you taking the time here tonight and uh, i thank you thank you jason all right next week on the show we have amanda radke amanda is a blogger for Beef Daily for Beef Magazine. Amanda has been a very huge influence on the work I've tried to do. Um, I've been a longtime reader of her blog and a longtime follower of hers. So uh, it was really cool. Uh, I was kind of fanboying a little bit getting to talk to her. So uh, I have really enjoyed this conversation and getting to know uh, Amanda and getting to put a voice with all those words I've read over the years. So uh, it was a really cool experience for me. So until next time, I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and this has been the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.